Hi, this is Teresa Willard-Hughes, and I want to thank each of you for listening, but I also owe you an apology. I apologize for the delay in submitting a new podcast. As with me and everybody else, there's a lot, a lot that's going on. As you know, I live in California, so things were going pretty well. Then, boom, all of a sudden, we get another lockdown. The governor, who I've met on a couple of occasions for various political activities that I've done over the years, he and I have a different policy and idea of essential services. My eyebrows have not been done because we are not allowed to do eyebrows in the state of California. So meantime, I'm looking more and more and more like a woolly mammoth across the face or some type of old caterpillar with gray hair sprouting everywhere. So I finally got my cousin's daughter to come in and help me. She was pretty good, but it's a challenge. It's just basically a challenge of the basic services that we all take for granted, or at least I take for granted. So I ended up leaving, going to Colorado, and thinking, okay, when I come back, get a new haircut, I can get my, you know, maybe get my eyebrows done. And I can get him a good Betty and Penny. Now, while I'm there, I have this great opportunity. Buzzsprout, who handles most of our podcasts, they put up an announcement for people to submit by first part of August for the Black Lives Matters uh, Black Pod Award. So I thought, hmm, let's go through this. Let's, lo and behold, we qualify. So then there was the whole thought process. No less than 15 minutes. We came in at 14.58. But what I wanted to do was talk about Black Lives Matter from a woman's standpoint and from the subject matter which that we have been talking all along. So I did what I think is a really great podcast, and I may post it a little later for us. But what it is was looking at saying, oh, Black Lives Matter, and we talk about Black men whose lives matter who've been murdered by the police and we've now been getting to have a conversation about Brianna Taylor and other women that have died under the police department. I thought it was time that we expanded the definition of Black Lives Matters and the elimination of systemic racism, elimination of systemic sexual violations against women of color. And it was important that I write that. And I'm proud of what we've submitted. Hope we get nominated. Hell, if we win, I'd be dancing. I'd be dancing like a crazy person. But I'd be thrilled. Even to be nominated would be an honor, because when we look at childhood sexual violence perpetrated against women or young boys of color, what we know is what it does to their future, how it can harm them going to the foster care system, going to the prison system not completing their education, what happens to the future generations. So it was imperative that I write that and I submitted it. So I finally get back home thinking, whoo, I get my nails done. Guess what? I'm sitting outside. Talk about an embarrassment. Think about going being outside in a little tubby of water, getting your feet done for my pedicure. It was embarrassing. But my feet look good, and my, t and my fingernails look good, so not pitching. Still can't get my eyebrows done, but I'm okay. Oh, and I can't get a haircut. And when I'm talking about what my petty problems are compared to everybody else, I have, like, no, no right to complain. I have food. I have income coming in. I'm doing something that I love, which is these podcasts, and I appreciate everybody who's listening. So let's talk about what today's podcast is going to be about. We're going to break them out in two sections. 
I originally thought about doing three profiles, the Boy Scouts of America, USA Gymnastics Organization, and Education. So what I've done is I've limited it to just the Boy Scouts of America and then the USA Gymnastics. Why not education? Because there's so much that's involved with that. I need to do a little more research because I'm looking at some of the issues that Betsy DeVall is doing, the current U.S. Secretary of Education, and how her lockdown battle of dismantling Title IX that has helped so many young women of color, so many women, period, across this country to be able to get scholarships, be able to move forward, and to have a presence. And the other one that she's doing is somehow, it's, she's working at making it much harder especially young girls on college campuses to report of uh, being victimized. And that somehow the young guy has equal rights, even though he may be known as a predator, he has equal rights. So I think that should be a separate standalone issue. So that's what, so let's just start talking about the Boy Scouts to be, because I think that when we do the Boy Scouts of America, and right now there's these major lawsuits that are going against the Boy Scouts of America. There's a group of attorneys now that are all across the country, and they're calling for men who had been sexually violated in the 1950s, the 1960s, and the 1970s that were sexually violated while they were Boy Scouts. This group, and they're all under this umbrella called Abuse and Scouting. Now, mind you, these are powerful attorneys. And, the, and there's a window of opportunity by which those who are victimized can be able to seek restitution because of the removal of the many states of the statutes of limitation. So when I look at the Boy Scouts of America, I look at it in a different way. I'm sorry that they were violated. Do not get me wrong. But when you look at them, you we have to understand the intersection. Of, you have to look at the race of the young men, 1950s, 60s, and 70s. The Boy Scouts were primarily white. Yes, there were some black troops. I knew some black Boy Scouts. I knew some Hispanic Boy Scouts. I even knew Asian Boy Scouts. But the majority of those people that were there in the Scouts was predominantly white. Think about those Norman Rockwell pictures. So if you look at white males, power of them, male, some race and gender, but look at the economics. The Boy Scouts are friggin' rich. They got money coming out of the Yahoo. So what do they do? Is As the lawsuits are coming in, they do what the Catholic Church has done. They're doing what the US, USA Gymnastics, which we'll talk about. They filed the bankruptcy to protect their assets. And so unlike other people of color who have been sexually violated, we don't have attorneys. We lose money. Our lives are going to pot and shit, to put it politely. And, the org and we have no organizations that somebody could sue. So these big law firms and clamoring trying to get our asses, we're left out in the dust. But what's really is amazing is let's just talk about, again, go back to the numbers and look at who we're talking about. So the Boy Scouts was founded, I think it was around 1910 in Washington, D.C. And by 1960, it got a congressional charter. So that meant, and from that point forward, every year, they gave an annual report to the U.S. Congress. 
And the 103 years, they never mentioned a damn thing about the sexual violence that was going on there. They never mentioned about that there was these lists that they kept that who, quote-unquote, was an undesirable, basically who was a pervert or pedophile. But they never brought any of that up. So when you look at the numbers that they're now using, they're claiming at this point there was at least 8,000 sexual predators that they could account. And there's somewhere in the, in the outset of 13,000 young men during that time period that was sexually violent. Those are some staggering-ass numbers. Someone said they could even dwarf the Catholic Church. So those are huge numbers. They never reported any of this was happening. Look at the reality of what I know and what you know. Everything's quite different. So they have 8,000 predators, and they had 13,000 of those who were victimized. But think about the fact that Childhood Protection Services, which we've already had a discussion in my concept of how horrible they could be, they have can report, confirm, investigated that every eight minutes in this country, a child is sexually violent. And that's the ones that they know about. If you do eight minutes, every eight minutes, if you do every eight minutes in this country, over a course of a year, that's 63,000 plus children that are sexually violent. Where the hell's that? Where's the attorneys for us? I don't see any great groundswell to save and protect us. I did a project. In a, at a juvenile facility um, years ago about sexual violence. And I was working primarily with boys. So, you, of course, you can't ask them if they were sexually violated. So you talk around circles. So I had a young man say to me, oh, no, Miss Tracy, nothing like that happened to me. But if it did, uh, and what if I liked it? I'm thinking, holy crap, I don't know how to handle this. This was 15 plus years ago. Then there was a very nice, very small, very thin, boned little boy. He was probably 50. He had spent most of his life either out of foster care and now in the juvenile facility. Then he came up to me angrier than hell. I mean, this boy looked like a freaking sparrow, you know, a malnutrition sparrow. He was in a huff and a puff. And he said, I don't like this. And I go, what's happening, sweetheart? And he said, have you seen them commercials? I have no clue what's going on. Again, I am like shocked that this little boy has. He said, see them commercials about the damn dog? Well, people could call in and spend $19 a month and get a goddamn t-shirt to save an effing dog, but no one would try to save my ass. And I'm thinking, I don't know what he's talking about, trying to figure this out, trying to calm him down. Then a couple of weeks later, I was watching news. And Sarah McLaughlin is singing that song. And they have these poor dogs behind fences. And what, this little boy who is beyond inarticulate, they will save a dog over my black ass. They will get nice, spend, someone would spend $19, they would get a t-shirt. But nobody gives a rat's ass about me. That never forgotten. Because here is this baby boy who, like I said, looked like a malnutrition sparrow. And he wanted to know, why would you save a dog? but not. So there's that whole concept. So as we talk numbers, let's talk relative numbers. I'm sorry for the 13,000 men that were sexually violated. They should have locked up every one of them, the 8,000 sexual predators, and if necessary, dig up their bodies and redo them in. But let's not get all holy of the freaking vow when we know that every eight 
that it's in this country, a kid is sexually violated, which is 63,000, and none of us are talking about them. There ain't no attorneys for us. The next group we're going to talk about is the USA Gymnastics. Now, we all know them because all of us have watched gymnastics for a lot of them. I fell in love with gymnastics in 1972 with Olga Corbett. That's how long I've been watching it. I would have loved to have been a gymnast. But, you know, black folks back in them days when I was growing up, we ain't even heard of gymnastics. My breasts are too damn big to ever figure out how I'm be flipping around on anything. So that crap's not going I love the sport. I love looking at these very small, powerful young women and their bodies and what they're capable of doing. But I also have been interested about watching them and over the years seeing who they are. And of course, I'm in love with this whole new team that they've had. I love Mary Lou Ratton. I love, you know, and Carrie Strikes. I love Gabby. Gabby, I loved her. I love all of these women. And when I would see a young black woman do it, it was like, whoa, look at this. This is really amazing. Well, one of the things that I watched was the Larry Nazar trials. So here is this sexual predator. So if you go back and you look at the infrastructure that we built that I showed you, and I'll put it on, on our website. So let's put Larry Nazar, which we could clearly designate him as the head, head predator in charge. First time someone reported him was 1997. The University of Michigan quietly dismissed him in 2015. This man we know sexually violated well over 200 plus young girls. Then if you go down the food chain, Look over to the left-hand side, and what you'll see is USA Gymnastics. Then the Farrell Lake Olympics. You look at the University of Michigan. You look at all the enable agencies that knew this guy existed. They had heard rumors, but everybody protected him. Why? Because they did not want to upset their team. Think about certain things. This guy sexually violated five women, five young women, who were in the 2012 Olympic team that won gold medals, and four out of them in the 2016. That's how much of a predator. But if you look at the young women, where we would normally talk about them as victimized as sacrificial children, I'm not doing that for the gymnastics team. Why? Because they're quite different. And they're different from the standpoint is, as I said, I'm an economist. And a friend of mine worked in foster care for years. And he and other people coined a term that those kids who are in foster care, and especially in big group home settings, are what he called an RPU, a revenue-producing unit. Think about it from that standpoint. And these girls, these very small little titans, are revenue-producing units. How well they do produces revenue for the USA Gymnastics. How well they do produces revenue for their team captains, whoever their coaching organization is, whatever teams that are developed. However these well these girls do, they generate revenue for someone else. They eventually make money for themselves. But during that, all of that trading for the Olympics and all of that, and you see them on the world tours and everything, everybody is making money off of these young girls. 
as I said, there are PUs in the best of sense. And what happens is everybody needs to stay silent. Now, mind you, people stay silent because they don't want to mess up their revenue stream. So they know that girls are being sexually violated, but no one says anything. So there are all these enablers that you have because they want to keep that money. They want to keep their reputation. They want to keep all of that to continue flowing in to their coffers. Doesn't matter what happens to the girls. When you think about it, these are young girls who are working. Some of them are training minimum of 25 hours a week. Some of them are training up to 30 to 35 hours a week. That's a full goddamn job. Many of them have left home when they're very young. They're staying in other people's homes. They're at training camps. Their lives are dictated by whoever is training them. They have to produce, again, their revenue-producing unit. They have to do well. Regardless of what their injury are, you get up and you keep going. Imagine the ones that we do know about. Imagine, think about all the ones that we do not know. They did not have the mental capacity who fell apart as a result of it. Even if you think of this young girl, Hernandez, who was in the 2016 she talked about years later about the, how she was belittled, made fun of, and the whole nine yards and the middle, the middle abuse that she endured. So each one of these girls have done their job and they've generated revenue as a result of it to the coach, to the ranch, to the USA Gymnastics, everybody's making money off of And then it comes out about Larry Nasser. Oh, God, it's like a big secret. Like, how did this happen? Well, let's see, 1997, and now 2015, you finally come out. And then you look at Larry Nasser. There's nothing about him that's, he's a weasel. He's a little bitty, weaselly-looking dude. Nothing about him. Big old glasses. And this guy has been sexually violating girls for years. And whenever they were reported, people go, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. They would push it under the side. And you begin to think there's something wrong with you because no one is listening to you. The reality is that he was a sexual predator in the midst of this huge organization. And when it finally came out, it burst out like crazy. But again, remember, the U.S. gymnastics the coaches and everybody else are used to telling these young girls what they're supposed to do. These young girls do what they're supposed to do because they know that their lives, their financial future, being a top gymnast, is riding on a, by these people telling them. What to do. So, they file a lawsuit. There's all of this money. I think the, the amount of money was around 215 to $217 million. And there are 500 plus girls that are involved with the lawsuit. And then all of a sudden, things go haywire. People like Ali Resman and Simone Biles go, nope, not interested in the money. What the hell? These are people who are not used to having anyone tell them no let alone girls that they have trained, and who, by the way, they have probably never even seen them as young women, only as revenue producers, only as you're supposed to do what we tell you to do. These are young, grown-ass women, small as they'll come, but they're grown. They are strong. Someone failed to understand these were strong women. 
These were not little girls that you could push about, but grown ass. And they said the word that predators, that organizations, that the enablers don't understand. They said no. The most powerful two-letter word in the universe. No. We're not taking this. We're not interested in the, in the money. Why? Is because the U.S. Gymnastics Organization, what they ended up doing is they put in waivers. Well, if you accept our money, you, you, we will not be held liable. will not be held liable. Take our money and run. And they said, no, we want a full investigation. Wait a minute. What are you guys talking about? The girl said, we want a full investigation of what happened to us. So they sent some happy birthday notice to Simone Biles. And she said, mm, that's nice. Happy birthday. But no, I still want an investigation. And they're not used to, I believe, being told no by people that they've always been able to manipulate. They never see these girls for who they are. These young women are the epitome of what is strong, powerful, and victorious. They said, no, you can't do this to me anymore. And not only can you not do this to me, but we're setting it up so that you cannot continue this foul behavior in future generations. And you're not going to keep making money off of it. You're not going to be able to use the same camps. They even closed down some of the branches and the camps and the teams and the coaches. That's how powerful they are. Because they had the ability to say no, to shed light on an institution that was using and violating that it enabled a sexual predator to level monks, and they said no. So whenever we're talking about these, we've talked about it in the past, it all really comes down to someone saying the word no more. And if you think about it, you don't have to be a gymnast. You don't have to be anyone of great stint. Remember the case in California, and I believe these, you remember these people that had 13 children, I believe. Father's hairdo, I don't know where the hell that came They had been violating, holding their kids hostage and, you know, putting chains on them in the house. And one girl, one girl, not the oldest child, a long shot, but one of the younger children snuck out of the house and went to a neighbor. That one child had that power of saying no more. If you look, talk about the Boy Scouts. If you look at, remember when they had that big cave-in in Thailand? That was a Boy Scout troop. And they were doing some cave whatever walking through. There was one boy. He was not Native Thai. But he was an indigenous child from another country who knew multiple languages. He was the one child that stood up. Each of us have that ability. Each of us has this survival personality. We have been taught that we're not supposed to believe in truth. People tell us because if you're women, oh, you don't believe in women's instinct. Bullshit. Believe in it. It's that gut feeling that you know, uh-uh, no, I shouldn't be doing this. I need to step back. Believe in the power of your own instinct. Believe in the power that you know more than with somebody else. I don't give a rat's reason that they may possess. Understand you. Understand that you have a right to say no. You have the right to be able to say, no, I'm not. I have never, ever fit into anything. I don't fit. I have no desires to fit into your low expectations of who the hell I'm supposed to be. Um, yes, I was victimized. So no, I'm not a victim. So there you go, therapist. I am not going to cast on that label. We are, we are so much stronger than what anybody thinks that we are. 
but we're constantly being told not to believe in our own strength. This whole pod set, podcast series is for us to understand and believe in who we are, for us to communicate with each other and go ask each other, how did you do it? What can I do? How can we improve our lives? Remember who we are. In most of the cases, if you're women, we're the economic engines of our communities. It is what happens to us dictates what happens to our future generations. Stand up. Say no. Don't even say no. Go hell to the friggin' no. Understand that you are strong, you are powerful, and you are victorious. So enough of this for now. But thank you for everything that you've done listening to me. I look forward to putting on a new podcast and we'll be doing it on the healthcare, how sexual violation impacts our healthcare, both our physical and our mental health care. And that will be out within the next two weeks. In the meantime, you stay strong, you stay blessed, and God bless you. You take care of yourself. This is Teresa. Bye-bye, dears.